Our scripture this morning comes from the book of Revelation, chapter 1, beginning with verse 4. To the seven churches that are in Asia, grace and peace to you from the one who is and was and is coming, and from the seven spirits that are before God's throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from among the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To the one who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood, who made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and always. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him, including those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. This is so. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, the one who is and was and is coming, the Almighty. This is the Word of God for us, the people of God. And now, God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each heart be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Uh, You're probably aware there's a a national conversation going on right now about government and power and authority, particularly around one person. Questions like, can power be abused? Is there such a thing as overreach of power? Is certain kinds of governmenting power meant to go unchecked? How much power does the president have by law? How much power is meant to be shared co-equally between the branches of government? And what about the power of the press? What about the power of us, the electorate? What about the influence of foreign powers? And when a country is as deeply divided as ours is now politically, when we're in the midst of an impeachment, where does the actual power lie? I mean, really, right now, who's in charge? Who's running the show? Now, you'll be relieved to know I'm not preaching about impeachment today. I'm not preaching about politics today. But I am preaching about a particular kind of government, a particular kind of kingdom. I am preaching today about a particular king. You may not know that today is the end of the Christian year, the last Sunday of the liturgical year, as we call it. And in many churches, it's called Christ the King Sunday. Now, I don't know if First Church has ever observed Christ the King Sunday before. Many churches don't. They, they, they emphasize more uh, Thanksgiving, uh, as that will be our holiday the week, and that's certainly appropriate for churches to do. But, but I have a bias toward Christ the King Sunday, as it is the last day of the year. It's meant to be the climactic day. It's meant to be the grand finality, and, and in my mind, it ought to sum up what the whole year is about. So think about what the Christian year looks like. Next Sunday, we begin Advent. 
for four Sundays, we, we anticipate, we look to, we hope for the coming anointed promised king. Then on Christmas, of course, for 12 days, we celebrate his arrival and the baby Jesus, the newborn king of the Jews. Epiphany begins the season where we look at Jesus' life and growth, but it begins with three wise men, royalty, visiting from the east, bringing gifts for a king. Then begins the season of Lent and Holy Week, a 40-day journey with Jesus to the cross. I'll say more about that in just a moment. Easter, of course, is the celebration of his resurrection, his ascension into heaven, where scripture says he now sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Then comes Pentecost and the gift of the Holy Spirit given to us so that we continue the work of Christ as his church. Now, just a moment ago, we affirmed, as we often do, our belief in Jesus Christ and the words of the Apostles' Creed. We all said together, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge and the quick and the dead. And so it seems to me as we retell this story, Sunday after story, Sunday, year after year, that it makes sense to end the year focused on the significance of this unique individual, Jesus the Christ, Jesus the King. Now, you may recall from the story of Jesus that on the day of his arrest and crucifixion, the question of his authority as a king was called into question. Remember, the Jews had arrested him and they were looking for something to accuse him for. And so they brought him to Pontius Pilate, the, the local governor of the Roman Empire, the one who was empowered to, to execute the law. And literally, I mean execute. Now, he, of course, would be concerned about anyone who claimed to be the king. In his mind and in his line of authority, there was only one king that mattered, Caesar. There were other puppet kings like, like Herod, but they had, they had submitted to the kingship of Caesar. And, and when somebody comes along with lots of followers claiming to be a king, well, you need to check that out. And so Pilate asks Jesus, are you a king? Jesus replied, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders, but my kingdom is not of this world. Notice he didn't deny it, did he? Of course I'm a king. Just not the kind of kingdom that you might be thinking of. Now you may remember in the story, Pontius Pilate says, let him, let him go, I find no fault in him. But the Jewish leaders pressed him. Imagine if Caesar finds out that you let go a would-be king. And so he is crucified. And what did they hang as the charge above his head? King of the Jews. Now you and I know that Jesus was crucified for our sin and for our salvation. That's the theological understanding of that historic event. But for those who crucified him, 
those who gave the orders and followed the orders, they were crucifying a criminal of state, a rebel, a would-be king. As it says in Revelation 1.5, Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from among the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth. Surely the author of Revelation was thinking of Caesar when he said, Jesus, the Christ, is the king of the rulers of the earth, that no matter who thinks they're in charge here, there's one who is greater. But the question for us this morning, if we claim Jesus as our king, king of whom? King of what exactly? King in title only or king in actuality? Now let's be honest, the term king probably sounds a bit antiquated, a bit archaic, some even struggle with it theologically, sounds a bit patriarchal. There aren't many kings and queens left in the world and those that continue are are mostly just figureheads. Probably the closest thing in our current world that, that is equivalent to a king of the ancient world are modern dictators who are often absolutely powerful, sometimes tyrannical. Now, not all kings and queens throughout history have been tyrants. Some have actually been benevolent. They have seen their, their rule as an opportunity to benefit their kingdoms, and surely Jesus is a benevolent king. But thinking of earthly rule, earthly kings and queens, even the most benevolent of earthly royalty had privilege, had absolute power not granted to their subjects. Throughout history, there's always been a wide disparity between the ruler and the ruled. And so when we call Jesus a king, when scripture calls Jesus a king, what do we mean? Because clearly, this is unlike any king the world has ever known. If we were to continue to read throughout the book of Revelation, you would come to Revelation 5, 12, where it says, Worthy is the slaughtered lamb to receive power, wealth, wisdom, might, honor, and glory, and blessing. Isn't that an image? Seated on the throne of heaven, a slaughtered lamb. I don't know if you've ever paid attention to statues and artwork of royalty. I'm thinking of the pharaohs of Egypt. I'm thinking of the the Caesars of, of Rome and Greece. Oftentimes their representation in artwork is significantly more impressive than I think they were in actuality. We are given the impression of grandeur. Isn't it interesting that our king presents himself to us with an image of sacrifice, a slaughtered lamb on the throne. Philippians 2, 6 through 8 says, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. What kind of king is this unlike any other in history 
Rob Bell says the way of Jesus is the path of descent. It's the path of downward mobility. Friends, our king wasn't born in a palace as most kings and queens are. Our king was born in a barn. Unlike the kings of the earth who lead armies, our king led an army of nobodies, former prostitutes, tax collectors, fishermen. Most of the kings of this world demand taxes of their subjects. Our king gave himself as a total offering. Most kings ascend thrones, ours ascended a cross. Most kings and queens call for the death of their enemies. Ours was executed by his enemies as he said, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. Most kings and queens wear crowns of gold and jewels. Ours wears a crown of thorns. And here's also another major difference. Throughout history, if you had a king or queen that ruled over you, it wasn't by your choice. It just so happened you were born in that particular kingdom or were conquered by that king or queen's particular army. You didn't get to choose who your king was. We choose. We choose whether or not we will live under the reign and rule of this particular king. We his followers choose whether or not to be members of this particular kingdom. Two words that we often use together in Christianity is Lord and Savior in reference to Jesus. When we call Jesus Savior, it's acknowledging that I need saving from something, my sin, my brokenness, and that Jesus is the one to do it through his death on the cross. But what does it mean when we call him Lord? Surely it means that he is God, that he is God's only son, that he is divine. But it means more than that. Think of the expression that we use with nobility and royalty, lords and ladies of the court. To call Jesus Lord is to acknowledge his kingship. Imagine if we were to do otherwise. To accept Jesus as Savior, to say, yes, I very much would like to benefit from your cross. Thank you very much. But the lordship thing, the kingship thing, well, I'm not so sure about that. It's absurd. And so my question for you this morning is claiming Jesus as our Lord and King, nothing more than theological talk, nothing more than a a spiritual construct or abstraction. Or is Jesus Lord, my Lord, my King, your Lord, your King? If we lived in an actual earthly kingdom with an actual king or queen, we would be required to submit our entire lives, our our choices, our actions, our allegiances, our possessions to that particular king. Do we do the same willingly, willfully? To King Jesus? Do I willingly, joyfully accept and hear to the laws of the kingdom of heaven as we hear them in the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount? I mean, I'll be honest, the whole, the whole talk of kingship does sound a bit archaic, at least 
foreign. Sometimes we soften that. We talk about Jesus as, as friend. Oh, what a friend we have in Jesus. We talk about him being a comforter, a guide, a healer, a wise teacher, a helper, an ever-present help in time of need. All those are true, of course. Was that all Jesus is? Doesn't that limited understanding fall short of understanding Jesus as king? Doesn't scripture require a good bit more of us than that? And if there's part of you that resists naming Jesus as king, if there's part of you that, that doesn't like that, is uncomfortable with it, well then let me ask you, who is your king? If it's not Jesus, who or what is? Your president? your politics, your spouse, your children, your parent, your career, your employer, your investment portfolio, your, your personal philosophy and ethics, or maybe it's just you. Maybe you are your king. Maybe you are your queen. To what or to whom are you bowed before? To what or to whom have you submitted your life? Friends, the older I get, the more I realize I need someone bigger than me. I need someone better than me. I need someone wiser than me. I need someone watching over my life that has a better vantage point than I do than in the impulsiveness of any moment. I need someone who cares for me more than I care for myself. I need someone who has a better plan for my life than I have for myself. To put it in simple theological terms, I need a king. And frankly, you need your pastor to have a king. Is calling Jesus just submission to a theological idea? Or is it actually an invitation to be part of something greater? Revelation 1, 5 through 6 said, To the one who loves us, and freed us from our sins by his blood, who made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and always. Amen. You see, if Jesus is our king, that means we are part of a kingdom. I love this quote by N.T. Wright. He says, plenty of people in the church and outside it have made up a Jesus for themselves and have found that this invented character makes few real demands on them. He makes them feel happy from time to time, but doesn't challenge them, doesn't suggest they get up and do something about the plight of the world, which is, of course, what the real Jesus had an uncomfortable habit of doing. Tony Campolo says, when Jesus saved us, he saved us to be agents of a great revolution, the end of which, which will come when the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdom of our God. In the Old Testament book of Daniel, in chapter 2, the, the king of the world in that time was King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. He was known to have dreams, and sometimes the dreams would trouble him, and he didn't always understood what they, understand what they meant. One particular dream was of a, of a great, impressive, massive statue. Its head was made of gold, the chest and arms were made of silver, a midsection made of bronze, legs made of iron, and feet made of, who knows, clay. 
And in Nebuchadnezzar's dream, he saw that great, impressive statue crushed and come tumbling down. He looked for someone who might interpret what the meaning was, and he found Daniel, who said, that statue represents the kingdoms of this earth, one that has followed another, one that has succeeded, one has conquered, each one replacing the last, each one greater than the one that was prior, but none last forever. Then he says in Daniel 2.44, the God of heaven, by the way, who crushed the statue, the God of heaven will raise up an everlasting kingdom that will be indestructible. Its rule will never pass to another people. It will shatter other kingdoms. It will put an end to all of them, no exceptions. It will stand firm forever. Friends, that ancient prophecy is of a kingdom that you and I know and are invited to be part of. And it's ruled by a king who invites us to call him Lord and Savior. Throughout the history of the world, kingdoms have risen and fallen. Some you know and many have been long forgotten. The world has been ruled by great kings, pharaohs, Caesars, emperors, chairmen, czars, dictators, generals, everyone gone. They come, they go. And they all have two things in common. None lasts forever. And every king or queen that has ever ruled this earth has feet of clay. All but one. There is only one king who is eternal. There is only one kingdom that is an eternal kingdom. Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from among the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth. Who is your king? Let us pray. And so at least in these moments, Lord, as we gather to worship you, we acknowledge that you are the one seated on the throne of heaven, that you are the one who, as unlike any other king, you've sacrificed yourself for us. You love us. You've given all for us that we might give all for you. You invite us to be part of your kingdom work as it advances across the earth. And so we submit ourselves to your reign and rule. Be Lord of all, be King of all, be ruler of all, including us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.